Well, welcome to FBC Las Cruces. My name is Joe. I am not the senior pastor here, uh, but I am one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm bringing the message today. Our pastor uh, is out. Uh, I'm actually starting a four-week sermon series today, so I'm really excited about that. Uh, I hope that you'll come back. I guess this is, this is kind of my test, right? If there's nobody here tomorrow, I'll know. I'll know that I didn't do a good job. Uh, I'm so excited. This is, this is my favorite thing to do is preach the Word of God, and so I'm excited to do that. I'm following up uh, a series of the pastor uh, that's called It Begins, and I thought it would never end. It was nine weeks long. It was absolutely uh, crazy. Uh, it, was, it was a great series. Uh, the, I, are we recording right now? I think we are. Okay. So what I want to say about that series is how amazing it was, how beautifully preached it was, all the interpretation for all the sermons, amazing, groundbreaking, I mean, simple uh, yet deep at the same time. I mean, it was just really blessed me. I'm going for a raise here is what I'm, what I'm trying to do. Um, no, but it really was. It was, a great, it was a great series. And really what the pastor wanted all of us to get from that series uh, was that no story matters more than the story of Jesus. And that brings me to our sermon series, The Absurdity of Christ. Now, I know that that sounds a little bit weird, especially we just talked about his story matters more than anybody else's story. So before you go all Old Testament on me and stone me, drag me off the stage and leave me for dead, just let me explain why I've named the series uh, The Absurdity of Christ. It's because Jesus did and said a lot of absurd things. And, and humanly speaking, if you were witnessing that, you would have been like, man, this is, this is absurd. But because of who Jesus was, it wasn't absurd. And so he did so many things like this. I mean, this is really where he lived, was saying things and doing things that seemed so absurd to everyone watching. What I'm hoping that you get out of this whole series as we go through it is this, that following Jesus may seem absurd, but it never is. And it's never absurd to follow Jesus because of exactly who he is. And he is an amazing God. Jesus was not just a man. He was God in the flesh. And so we're going to look at some of uh, those absurd things that Jesus said and did over the next four weeks. Uh, and I hope that you kind of stay with me. Um, I kind of want to jump back 4,000 years ago because Jesus said and did some pretty absurd things, but his father also did. So if we jump way back, like 4,000 years uh, ago, I don't know the exact date uh, when God talked to Noah, okay? But he said some pretty absurd things to Noah. In fact, he called Noah to build an, an, a, a huge Ark, this watercraft that would hold all of the animals and his family for a long time because a flood was coming. And he tells Moses, I want you to build this thing on land. All right. Now, if it was Moses, I'm sorry, if it was Noah's neighbor who had said this to him, Noah would have been like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. But because it was God, even though it sounded absurd, he was worth trusting. And so Noah did it. Then we come to Abraham and his story. Abraham is told by God, I want you to leave your country and go to a new land that I will show you. That's absurd. Except that it was God saying it. It wasn't Abraham's neighbor saying it. It was God. And because it was God who was saying it, it was less absurd. And Abraham trusted. And he went 
we keep following along in Abraham's story, it was 99 years old. Abraham was 99 years old when God told him, Abraham, you're going to have a son. After 99 years of not being able to have a child, God comes and tells Abraham this absurd thing. You are going to have a son. That's absurd. 99, that's old. Let's keep going with that story. God comes up to Sarah. She's 90. Little past child rearing age, you know. He says something absurd to her. You are going to have a child. She's already come to terms with her barrenness. She knows that there is no chance of her ever having a child. She gave up on that like 50 years ago maybe. And God comes and says this absurd thing to her and she believes even though it sounds absurd because he's God and she's not. If it was their neighbor that said, don't worry, you're only 90. You're, you're still going to have a baby. She would have been like, go, go home. I don't want to hear from you anymore. It was absurd. I mean, can you think of a 90-year-old woman giving birth? No, don't do that. Actually, just don't do that. Scratch that. Don't do that. I mean, that's absurd, though. And God then comes to both of them after they have this child. And again, says something absurd to them. And this time, he says, that child that I gave both of you when you were 90 and you were 99, I'd like you to sacrifice him. That's absurd. But Abraham obeys and starts the journey. Now, if you don't know the whole story, God didn't actually want a human sacrifice. He was testing Abraham to see if he would listen to something that sounded so absurd from him. Fast forward a lot of years. Jesus begins his ministry. Seems like he picks up right where God left off. It's like, it's like the two are one. Actually, that's true, isn't it? It's three and one, but it's the same. So Jesus picks up on the absurdity of God from the Old Testament, and he brings it into his ministry as he begins everything that he's doing. There's one point where, obviously, Jesus is mocked and he's laughed at so many times. There's one point where Jesus' own mother and brothers have to come and get him out of a situation. And they basically say, we're sorry for Jesus. Sorry that he's saying these things. These are a little, these, this is a little absurd. He was saying things like, love your enemies. Now, for you, you've probably heard that a lot. If you've been in church, love your enemies. It doesn't hit us very hard. But when he's talking to people, the Jews who are being oppressed, they knew exactly who their enemies were. It was the Romans. Jesus, you're saying that's absurd. That's, we can't love them. No, not only that, pray for those who are oppressing you. No, that's, that's too absurd. It's absurd that Jesus walked on water. If you were following Jesus at the time of ministry, you would be just waiting for the next thing that he would do or say, and you would just go from place to place watching what he would do, who he was going to heal, what was the next teaching that he was going to say, because I guarantee you it would be absurd, and one day you would have seen Jesus, and he would have got a blind man from off of the ground, and you would have seen him spit in that blind man's face, and you would have been like, I was not expecting this. That was absurd. But it wasn't absurd. All of those things weren't absurd because of who Jesus was. He healed that blind man. 
by spitting in his face. I don't advise you to be like Jesus and go and spit in blind people's faces. Do not do that. It's not the best way for you to be like Jesus. But the title of today's sermon is The Absurd Call of Matthew. And we're going to look at this really one of the most absurd things that Jesus does in the Gospels. But before we get there, I want to give you a little bit of info about the book of Matthew because I think we just kind of gloss over this, all right? The book of Matthew is a primary resource. What that means is, is that the person who wrote it was an eyewitness of the things that they are writing about. That's pretty huge. So we have a story of Jesus here written by this guy named Matthew, and Matthew saw everything that he's writing about. Matthew walked with Jesus. He was one of the 12 disciples. I mean, have you ever thought when you open the book of Matthew, I'm going to read from what one of the 12 disciples wrote because he was there and he saw it. He saw the absurd things that Jesus did. So don't, don't forget that as we go through this. And as he's telling Jesus' story, which the pastor told us that no story matters more than the story of Jesus, as Matthew is writing this story out for you and me to even read today, he gets to chapter 9, and chapter 9 is just awesome. In chapter 9, Matthew is writing about Jesus' story, and in Jesus' story, Jesus comes to a tax booth and meets a man named Matthew, the one who is writing the story that we're going to read right now. And so you have Matthew writing an account of when Jesus came into his life. And we have his very words to see exactly how absurd Jesus is. What I really want you to get from today's sermon, as we look at Matthew's life, as we look at his encounter with Jesus, and as we look at Jesus' story, and we're going to look at that whole relationship, we're going to come out on the other side, and here's what I hope that you see today, is that it's absurd that Jesus would call you to follow him. It's absurd. I mean, I know some of you. I know you. It's absurd that Jesus would call you to follow him, but it's absurd that Jesus would call me I'm a sinner just like everybody else. I'm no better than any one of you. It's absurd for us to think that Jesus Christ would call one of us to be his followers. And that's what we're going to see in the story of Matthew today. Now, we're going to be in Matthew 9, verses 9 through 13. Not a lot of verses, but we have a lot of things to talk about. I kind of divided this up into three different sections of this story, just so you could kind of see. The very first thing that I want you to see is that Jesus picked the worst guy. His name was Matthew. In fact, you couldn't have picked anyone worse. Everyone seeing Jesus going up to this tax booth and calling Matthew to be a disciple would have said, don't do that. That's a terrible idea. Horrible idea. So let's uh, get into the text now. Let's go to verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, that's Capernaum. Uh, that's really where he was residing at the time. He sees a man called Matthew. Now the name Matthew means gift of God. And I don't know why his parents named him that, but it is a gift of God that he's about to meet Jesus Christ. And it's a gift of God that he followed Jesus Christ. And it's a gift of God that you and I can read the account that he wrote 
of how he followed Jesus. So he sees Matthew there and he's sitting at the tax booth. Do you know who sits at tax booths? Tax collectors. Mm, everybody's favorite person, right? Let me tell you a little bit about Matthew. Matthew loved money. I mean loved money and he had a lot of it. He was filthy rich. Matthew was a traitor. Matthew had turned his back on his own people, the Jews. And he had aligned himself with the Romans. See, what would happen is the Romans would come through and they would take over an area and they would hire people in that area to do things for them. And one of those things was collecting taxes. And so based on the size of the area, the wealth of the people and all of these other things, they would say, all right, if you want to be a tax collector for the Romans, you need to give this amount of money back to Rome. And so these tax collectors, they would sign up to do this. And they say, all right, I can do that. Uh, and in doing so, they were turning their back on their own people and working for the bad guys, all right? Now, so after that would happen, uh, they can also, they only had to give Rome as much as Rome said. So they could collect more taxes if they wanted from the people, and they could keep those for themselves. And that's exactly what all the tax, tax collectors do, did. That's exactly what Matthew did. He stole from people. He extorted people. He was a thief. He was also unclean. So unclean that he would not be allowed to go and worship at the local synagogue. They wouldn't let him in because he was dirty. He was filthy. Couldn't come into there. That's like if FBC closed its doors to IRS agents and we said, you can't worship here. Actually, I need to check the policy to make sure that that's not in the policy. <laughs> it's not. If you're an IRS agent, you're happy. Uh, we're happy that you're worshiping here. Just don't tell anybody that you're an IRS agent. But the worst thing that Matthew did was that he had turned his back on his own God. Not only because he turned his back on God's people, but also because he was collecting taxes for Caesar, who many of the people thought was God and he, who he himself thought was God. So now you have this Jewish man collecting taxes for someone that claims to be God that's not. So he's basically turned his back on God as well. That's who tax collectors were. It's absurd that Jesus would call a tax collector. So he sees Matthew sitting at the tax booth. He knows everything that I just told you, everything that everybody thinks about Matthew, everything that Matthew thinks about himself and knows about himself, and he says, follow me. Now, that word in English is, it's just two words, follow me. It's only one word in Greek, but it has so much more meaning, and the tense is different. Uh, the tense would be like this. It would be Jesus telling him, you be following me. So start following me and continue following me. Be following with me. But the, the meaning behind the word is this idea to walk along a road with someone else, not by yourself, but with someone, to learn from them. All right, and so Jesus sees this tax collector. I'm telling you, the worst guy that anyone would have ever picked. Everyone would have recommended that Jesus pass over this guy and go find somebody else. He tells him, hey, Matthew, you, come, be following me. So Matthew responds. He rises up and he follows Jesus. Now, 
if you would have gathered a whole bunch of rabbis together at this time and had a rabbi off, and if a rabbi off is when you gather a whole bunch of rabbis, you bring them to a populated area, and you tell them, pick your, your disciples from this area, make sure everyone's gone, everybody gets to be on a rabbi team. I'm totally making this up, by the way. So don't go and talk with your friends about a rabbi off, because they're not going to know what you're talking about. But had you done that, and the referee would have started the picking. And the first rabbi would have picked that person and the next and the next until all of the people in the square were gone. They would say, all right, that's it. Everybody has their, their disciples. Everybody has their rabbi team. We're all good here. And the referee would say, actually, that is not true. There's still somebody behind that tax booth. There's a person right behind there. You guys missed him. And they would have all looked over there and they would have said, that's not a person behind that tax booth. That's a tax collector. Nobody picked him on purpose. No one would have picked Matthew. He would be the last person to really never be picked. Nobody would have picked him even if he was the last. So Matthew rises up and he follows Jesus. So now he's a follower of Jesus. The scene kind of jumps, all right? So we get to our Next scene, in the next scene, Matthew, a new follower of Jesus Christ, throws a huge party, a feast for Jesus, and he invites all of his friends. So the next thing I want you to see is that Jesus ate with a bunch of Matthews. Like, what's worse than a tax collector? A whole bunch of tax collectors, okay? If Jesus was going off on the wrong end on choosing Matthew to be his disciple, I mean, he is way off, way out of bounds now. Because we're going to see not only is he with tax collectors, he's now with other sinners as well. So let's look at verse 10 together. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, now they would recline at the table. They wouldn't sit at a tall table with tall chairs like you do. Uh, the blankets and cushions and pillows and things would kind of be built up to a really low table. And everyone would kind of lean over and they would eat with their right hand. And that's how everything would happen. All right. So he's reclining. He's just eating with these people. But it's a, it's a really intimate thing for this culture to eat with someone. You wouldn't want to eat with the wrong people because you were basically saying that I accept these people if you're eating with them. So you had to be really careful who you ate with, especially because just think about it. You're not just sitting in your own chair. I mean, you're, you're laying down and the next guy next to you, he's also laying down. I mean, there's, there's just all kinds of people bumping elbows and things like that. It's just a kind of crowded scene. So they're reclining at the table in Matthew's house. And look who's there. Many tax collectors and sinners came and they were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. So now Jesus has pulled his disciples into all of this as well. And we get to verse 11 and it says, when the Pharisees saw this, now the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day, all right? They were the ones pointing out to everyone else, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, you're unclean, you're unclean, you gotta do this, you have to be cleaner, you have to do this. And it was horrible. All they cared about was their purity. And they studied a long time and they knew the scriptures really, really well. And it took them a long time to become a Pharisee. And so they thought that they were the cream of the crop. And so they see what's going on with Jesus. They see that he's now called a tax collector, which is not allowed to worship in the synagogue. And now he's with more tax collectors. And now he's with sinners. They see this and they're like, okay, we got to say something. Let's go talk to his disciples. So they go and they talk to his disciples and they say this. 
Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors? Why does he eat with sinners? Now, in their minds, because tax collectors and sinners were unclean, and rabbis would have been considered to be clean and pure, if the two kind of touched or if they were hanging around together, it would, the dirtiness, the uncleanness of the sinner would rub off on the teacher. That's why Pharisees avoided people like Matthew and like the other sinners that were there eating with Jesus because they didn't want their filth to rub off on them because then they'd have to go and they'd have to purify themselves again. They had so many laws to get themselves pure, so many little things that they had to do so that they, in their minds, would be accepted by God. Little do they know God is reclining at the table with them, accepting sinners. So the next part that we get to is that Jesus came for the Matthews of the world. Jesus came for the Matthews of the world. He didn't come for a whole bunch of people who thought they were better than everyone else. Jesus came for the Matthews of the world. The Matthews of the world who had been beaten down by the Pharisees. The Pharisees had told Matthew and his friends that they were dirty for years and years and years. You're not allowed to go here. You can't do this. You're not clean. You're not clean. You're not clean. And I think they all started to believe it. And so when Jesus is reclining at the table, he hears what the Pharisees say, and this is how he responds. But when Jesus heard this, he said, those who are well don't need a doctor, all right? Don't need a physician. What he's saying is, I, I didn't, I'm, I'm like a doctor, and I didn't come to hang out with people who think they're so healthy that they don't need a doctor. I came to hang out with the Matthews, the people who know that they're sick. And Matthew, he knew he was sick. Do you know why, Pharisees? Because you never let him forget how much of a sinner he was. You wouldn't even let him worship God. You just kept beating him down and beating him down until he just realizes, I'm a sinner and I need grace. So Jesus comes, and he comes for someone like that who knows they're not perfect, someone who he can change, someone that's not so self-righteous as one of the Pharisees. Verse 13, I told you that the Pharisees, they had to study so long and hard to be, become a Pharisee. You couldn't just go up to a Pharisee and say, hey, I'd like to be a Pharisee. And they would say, okay, you're a Pharisee. That's not how it worked. It was study. They probably knew more scripture than this whole room combined. They studied long and they studied hard. They had all of their other laws. It wasn't something that came really easy. And Jesus, he just loves to take a dig when he can. And this is what he says. Hey, Pharisees, you who have studied so much, you who know so much about God's word, how about you learn this? And he quotes scripture to them. He quotes Hosea 6. And this is what he says in Hosea 6. This is what God says through Hosea. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So Jesus tells those Pharisees, here's, here's what you should have seen in the scriptures is that God desires mercy. 
You shouldn't be beating down people like Matthew. You should be helping them get to the Lord. Have mercy on people like Matthew, who's a tax collector. Have mercy on these sinners instead of thinking that you're so self-righteous that you just leave them alone. I don't care about the cleanliness of your hands or your body or how clean you think you are, Pharisees. What I care about is that you love God and that you love people. That's what God desires. And then Jesus finishes it off with this. For I came not to call the righteous, he says. I came to call sinners. Jesus came for Matthews, people who realize that they're sinful. He didn't come for people who thought they were so much higher above everyone else that they put everyone else down and say, I, I am okay. I will have a relationship with God because of all of the things that I have done to make myself more acceptable. None of us are acceptable. I remember uh, when I was 19, the Lord called me into the ministry and I, I didn't even know really what that meant. Here, here's what I felt. I felt that all I wanted to do was serve God full-time all the time. That's what I felt. I didn't even know that it was a call into the ministry. I just knew this is what I want to do. And I didn't know a whole bunch of other 19-year-olds who were feeling that uh, with me. And if you would have known me at 19 and I would have told you, hey, the Lord's calling me like to work for him forever, like I guess in the ministry or something, I didn't even know what that meant. Did that mean work at a seminary, go to seminary, be a pastor, be a missionary, be a youth pastor? I, didn't, I had no idea what any of this meant. I just had this desire in my heart. If you would have known me and I would have told you all of that, you would have been like, ah, but you're an idiot. <laughs> Why would God call you? That's absurd. And even in my own mind, I wrestled with this. It is absurd that Jesus would call me, this 19-year-old, into the ministry. And I thought, ah, I'm an idiot. <laughs> even me. It wasn't everybody else that thought I was an idiot. It was all of us. I was included. It was absurd that Jesus called me into the ministry, except that it's not because it's him and he changed me. He's made me new. It was absurd that Jesus called Matthew to follow him. It was. I, I, I can't stress that enough. No one ever would have approached Matthew had Jesus not approached him to be his disciple. I feel the same about me. You probably feel the same about you because it's absurd that Jesus would call you to follow him. Because you know you. I know me. It's absurd that he's called me to follow. It's absurd that he's called me to teach and to preach. But I guess it's not so absurd because of who he is. If he had a bad track record, maybe then it would be absurd, but it's not, it's not absurd at all. So I don't, I'm not exactly sure where you are in your relationship with God. Maybe you've already followed him. Maybe you've studied so much that you think you're better than everybody else. That's, that's not a good place to be. You need to ask the Lord for some humility if that's you. Or maybe you're sitting there and you've never followed Jesus and it all seems a little too absurd to you. Because a preacher right now is talking about a man who lived 2,000 years ago. Who wasn't just a man, who was God. 
in the flesh. That's absurd. Except it's not because it was Jesus. And then I'm telling you that he never sinned. Not one time did he do anything wrong. That's absurd, except for the fact that it's Jesus, so it's not. And that man, according to the sacrifices of the Old Testament, died on a cross for your sin, just like the sacrifices covered the sin of the people of the Old Testament. And he died on that cross for you and for your sins. That's absolutely absurd. Three days later, on the third day, he rose and he conquered the penalty for your sin. And he's not dead anymore. And I'm calling you to put your faith in him who walked the earth 2,000 years ago but is still alive today. Matthew had an advantage over us that he could see Jesus, but it still took faith for him to follow, just like it takes you faith to follow. Maybe you're sitting there and you're like, well, I've already followed Jesus, so great sermon, but it didn't really apply to me. Are you not the bearer of an absurd message to the entire world? Don't they look at the things that you believe and they think that's absurd. Your job is to go to them and speak with them about this absurd story that matters more than any other story and help them see that this story isn't as absurd as it sounds because it's all about Jesus. So I don't know how you are being led by the Spirit to respond to today's message. Maybe it's to follow Jesus for the first time. Maybe it's to start following him again and continue following him like he called Matthew to do. Maybe God is calling you to join the church. Maybe God is just calling you to share that message with other people. Maybe you have someone in, in your mind that you know needs that message. There's gonna be ministers up here. You can come pray with us, talk with us about anything you wanna do. You can also just... Follow what the Lord is leading you to do right there in your seat. But whatever we do, we need to remember that following Jesus may seem absurd, but it never is. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you so very much for Jesus Christ. Oh, we thank you for Matthew as well, who followed, and because he followed, was with you, seeing all of these absurd things, humanly speaking, that you did. You made a huge difference in this world by all of the absurd things that you did and that you said. God, would you help us understand that it's not absurd at all to follow you? Would you help us be more like Matthew and continue following you for the rest of our lives? Those of us who have stumbled, would you help us? God, we ask that though your message seems absurd, that you would help us communicate it in a way that lets everyone know this is the most sane thing you can do if you put your faith in Jesus. In his name we pray.